the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. I am Seth Leibson. David Dahl is my producer sitting to my west. For everyone else who's west of me, north of me, south of me, east of me, you can call in to 602-508-0960. What's our political pin today, sir? I just like Ike. You just like Ike. Someone told me about a pin I knew you'd want that they had the other day. Who's you knew I'd it? want? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Our mutual friend Steve, his mm-hmm. son, he had it, and I'm trying to remember whose pin it was. And he gave it to his son, whom we know. Maybe it's open for auction or sale, uh, or auction. maybe he'll just give it to you. I can't. Well, do that. I, I got to remember what it was. It was a really cool sounding one. Anyway, um, Ike. Okay. Um. A lot of talk and chatter about Donald Trump not joining the debate that'll take place Wednesday night. And his verbiage, which had him saying it looks like he won't be joining any of the debates at this point. His mind may change. We'll see. A lot of talk I've seen is what a mistake, what a bad idea, not good for party building, not good for the party. I understand all of that. I really do. And like Donald Trump, first choice, second choice, third choice or not, I think it would be political malpractice, frankly, for him to go into this at least first debate. Why make yourself the target when you can make your opponents target each other? Um, It would have been political malpractice for him to go into the debate. Do we want to see him in the debates? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I don't know. He's such a he's leading. So now he's leading so high now, so far and high right now that it's hard to see anyone catching up or, you know, leapfrogging to even within 10 points of him, much less the distance that most of them have, including Ron DeSantis, which is double and triple that amount. So I I just don't know. But the other part, I, I would love your thoughts. The, I throw it out for your thoughts and discussion. Do you want to see him on a debate stage or not? Do you think it's a good idea or not? That's question one for the audience. Question two, did you see Ron DeSantis's comments over the weekend? They're getting a lot of pushback. He called Trump's supporters listless vessels, which a lot of people said was kind of your deplorables moment, you know, listless vessels. I think I think the smarter strategy is to maintain your verbal attacks against the candidate and not the candidate's supporters. <laughs> I think I think you don't want to walk up to uh, you don't want to be a naive person walking up to a lion in the forest to try and pet the cute cat so to speak um i calling someone supporters i mean that's you would have thought hillary wrote the textbook on what not to do in that case don't you think now he's trying or some of his spokesmen are trying to backtrack a little bit walk it back a little bit saying he meant in congress it 
didn't come out as Congress. And then one might obviously say that, you know, it's not as if Donald Trump hasn't hasn't unleashed his fury, uh, his verbal fury on on candidates. But I think that's the point. I think that's the important point. It was against candidates. Um, It wasn't against would-be voters. It wasn't against the candidates' supporters or voters. So all of that uh, was in the mix. But i really like to know what you think. Should Donald Trump debate? I mean, we went around and around uh, the group I was talking to this morning. Um, The consensus, obviously, was that we have a country to save, right? We should always keep in mind that's the most important goal. We have a country to save. Um, Beyond that, we have a movement to propel, the conservative movement. Uh, Beyond that, we have to recognize that the Republican Party is, as Midge Dechter once put it, the cross uh, the, 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 the cross that the conservative movement has to carry because it really is our only vehicle to enact conservatism into politics, which is really at this point the only way we are going to save our country. And if there is someone who is so presumptively far and ahead in the nominee, you may, you may want to think, you may want to think or be just a little bit a little bit more careful about isolating and marginalizing those supporters. I understand not all of this audience is for one candidate or the other. I understand that there are very strong feelings about Donald Trump, and I understand that there are very strong feelings about whether he can actually win a national election or not. And I understand there are analyses that show these battleground or swing states. Um. Very difficult, very difficult for Republicans to get back. But I don't want us to forget either that for everyone who says there's a lot of time between now and Iowa when it comes to Trump versus someone else, Trump versus DeSantis or Trump versus who knows, Tim Scott or someone else, fair enough. There's also a lot of time between Iowa and the general election. And I think it's really important to keep that in mind, too. Don't throw in all towels at this point. In fact, don't throw in any towels at this point. Um, I, I, I happen to think that there's a bit of a burnt-in amber view of the DeSantis campaign at this point. It just seems to have uh, – it just seems to have a, a, a skunk it can't get rid of. And no one can quite figure it out. Was it the PAC releasing its open memo strategy last week as a signal to the campaign itself? Was it the campaign spending? Was it the campaign firings? Was it the campaign resets? Was it uh, is it Don, Ron DeSantis's per- personality or the way he is talking about things that aren't as winsome as perhaps they were when he was the governor of Florida? Uh, is it that he's not doing enough antagonistic interviews or and that's when he shines and he's only doing favorable interviews? I mean, there's there's just a lot of different things that aren't working there. And there is going to be, I think, a general theme that this candidacy is is I don't know if moribund's the right word, but kind of frozen or as I say, burnt in amber about where it is. Now, we'll see what the debates do Wednesday night. We'll see what gifts can be deployed and what it may or may not do. It's very rare uh, 
so rare that we can think of probably three or four examples to prove the point of the rarity. Uh, it's very rare for debates to move numbers that much. It's very rare for debates to move numbers that much. The first one David will talk about will, of course, be Ronald Reagan's debating performances, and that would be one example. I've been waiting to chime in on this. Go right ahead. I think it is a mistake to uh, to walk out of a debate. I mean, perhaps one, but all debates, that's a bit much. In uh, 1980, as we discussed, Ronald Reagan was the presumed frontrunner by quite a bit, and he skipped town on the League of Women Voters 1980 GOP debate in Iowa. And lo and behold, uh, CIA Director Bush had a very strong performance and won Iowa. He goes into New Hampshire as the frontrunner. People think Bush has the big mo, as he calls it. And Reagan has his famous movement, I am paying for this microphone, when it was supposed to be a a debate between just Bush and Reagan. Right. And the rest of the uh, candidates right. arrived. Right. And that really showed Reagan as the— uh, But it wasn't the debate so much, and the distances were different, right? The distances between Bush and Reagan were much, much smaller than the distances are between Trump. But you know what you won't find? You won't find footage of that debate where he said, I'm paying for this microphone. It was his standing up to the reporter that made the difference. When he said, "I paid for this microphone, you find Mr. The Green." Of the... Yeah, it wasn't. And by the way, he mispronounced the guy. It was. I think he called him Mr. Green. I think his name was literally Mr. Breen. Small little piece of interesting trivia. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But you won't find footage of that debate. What 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 that did for Ronald Reagan was showed that he would stick it to the media and he would stand up strong. And he would for stick himself. it to Russia. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And Iran. Right, right. right. And you know who else missed a debate that November? Who? President Carter. What debate did he? Oh, because he wouldn't debate Ted. He wouldn't, he wouldn't debate John Anderson and John. Oh, Anderson that's right, that's right. But Reagan, Reagan did. But Reagan and Anderson did with debate. An empty podium. That's on right. The third of the stage. That's right. I mm-hmm. remember watching that. Good, good, good work on you there. All right, we'll take some calls when we come back. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. All right, calls on all kinds of things. Let's get right to it. First, let's start with Lisa, who's calling in from Phoenix. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Seth. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Okay, thank you. Hey, um, so President Trump is in front of so many courts, and one of the judges, if I'm not mistaken, said, he has to be careful about what he says. Yeah. So he's going to be in a debate, and do you think that Chris Christie, Mr. Bellicose, or Ron DeSantis, or any of the other people are going to goad him into saying something that the judge says might be not helpful to him? Well, it's possible. I think- I, yeah, I don't know that. I don't even know that Donald Trump cares that the judge said that. Knowing, knowing that. Well, I don't know Donald Trump, but knowing the way he he likes to talk, I don't know that the I I don't know that the judge's uh, the judge's request is even going to be uh, taken that seriously. I mean, uh, uh, it, but it does it does make for an interesting question as to what Donald Trump. I mean, this is this goes to a bigger issue, actually, Lisa. It goes to the issue 
of the politicalization of criminalizing a political opponent with this Department of Justice criminalizing the lead candidate or for that matter, any candidate against the incumbent administration, because they are now under indictment. They are going to, you know, perhaps face a trial. And, you know, what they can say can be held, what the candidates may or can say can be held against them. You've, you, you know, you have put him, you have put your opponent between a legal rock and a political hard place, kind of a skillet and charybdis, yeah. if you will. And, you know, so that that's the real that's the problem. I don't think most people understand when we talk about this kind of being a banana republic situation, a banana republic kind of situation. You have taken your chief opponent and put him at legal risk for anything he thinks he may need to say to defend himself in a campaign against yeah. you. That's really the, the heart and, and meat of the problem. Can I say one more oh, thing? Oh, of course you can. I I am one of those uh, whatever vessels, empty vessels. <laughs> I, I, I don't... Listless. I it's don't a listless vessel. Follow. That's it. Listless vessel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'm not listless and I'm not an empty vessel either. Okay. And I don't drink, I don't drink the Kool-Aid. I listen to what everybody says and then I weigh it. Ron DeSantis lost me when he had a Nazi, a bona fide Nazi speechwriter. What is the judgment of a person who does that? You know, it's they they had to release two people from the campaign with those kinds of problems. And I got to tell you, um, it's it's a it's a head scratcher. I mean, you know, it's the idea that they had to fire so many staff over the course of several weeks it you know if you're if you're going to campaign as as the competent manager the guy who can get things done and you know ha- have the right sharpened axe for the deep state um it's 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 concerning you know a lot of people say your campaign is is your first test of your can of not your candidacy but of your presidency who you pick for yeah. vice president or running mate who you choose as your as your campaign staff how you manage them how you oversight have you have oversight over them it does seem like it needs some adult supervision over there, to put it no stronger, Lisa. Nazi. We're talking about a Nazi. I understand. What person I understand. does that? Uh, well, Is he obviously—I uh, I think it, it would probably be fair to say—in uh, fact, it is fair to say—that there's nothing in Ron DeSantis's record that would show that he sympathizes with that view or those views in the slightest. I, th- I think we need to admit to that. Ron DeSantis's, uh, you know, life record and career are opposed to all of that nonsense. But the fact that that could filter in the campaign and get into the campaign and find a place within it, th- it th- that goes to a management concern of great, great concern, a great, great concern. Of course it does. And um, I hope someone asks him about it Wednesday. I hope someone asks him about it. Thank you very much, Lisa. Where am I going to next? Josh is in Gilbert. Hi, Josh. Hey, Seth. Thanks for taking the call again. I appreciate it. Of course. I've I've been wanting to call in for a couple weeks, but depending on my work schedule, it depends on when I get out. So I don't know if you've talked much about this, but my mother-in-law lives in Lahaina. Oh, wow. Uh, Luckily, her house was fine. She lives about four or five miles north of Front Street, Lahaina Town, which is, you know, the one that unfortunately got torched. So I know that area very well. My wife's been going there for years. My wife's family, all of them have owned property on that island for years. So, you know, um, she just moved there about four years ago. So unfortunately, her job 
was on Front Street uh, near uh, Fleetwood Max restaurant. Fleetwood. Oh, I've yeah, yeah, yeah. Before. Yeah, yeah, right. And I know a lot of people who have gone. Yeah, sure. So, unfortunately, she doesn't have a job right now. I'm sorry. And um, filing for unemployment and stuff. But I... I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm just more upset at the absolute gross incompetence of the government yeah. and the people that run that state. Yeah. If people have been to Hawaii, as gorgeous as Maui is, it's the most corrupt state. It's worse than California. It's just, I mean, Seth, there's not even a hospital on that side of the island. There's one hospital on the island, and God forbid something happens. If you're not stuck in traffic on the one road that basically gets you there, I mean, you're lucky if you get there in an hour. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if I've seen more than one fire department when I've ever been there or a police department. Um, I just feel for these people. I know that they probably voted for a lot of this stuff, but, I mean, the amount of galleries with fine art and shops and people whose livelihoods were on there, it's so insane that people still have no idea how devastating this i mean this town is completely gone yeah. and, and we, then I hear we don't we don't even have an accurate death toll you know that we don't oh, really have an I accurate mean, death toll it could be it could be five to ten times higher than what we're being reported it could be yeah no she told me that my mother-in-law and you know and a lot of these poor souls might be children who were left at home because school was closed so we're not obviously being told that but then i read in politico and a lot of stuff today on real you know real politics that you know they use this as an excuse for biden to go down there and claim a climate emergency well that you know the climate issue here okay you knew this was coming you just knew it was coming um michael schellenberger uh pointed to a a a wall street journal article all you need to know about this and is a Wall Street Journal article dated August 17th, so a few days ago. Hawaiian Electric knew of wildfire threat but waited years to act because they put so much money into uh, rape, uh, renewables. They didn't focus right. on the problem they knew they had. So, you know, if you want to say climate change, it's the concern of climate change that caused this, not climate change. Yeah, it's just, yeah, my heart breaks. I mean, there's so many memories of us, my wife, when we were engaged, my kids, you know, my, when they were very little, but just being down there. And it's like, you know, when you went to Maui, that was the place you'd go, man. You'd go hang out there at least once or twice when you're down there on a trip. And all those people who had businesses down there and their livelihoods. I mean, there was a store down there that had maps. They sold maps from like the 1400s. It's like, it's just gone and um so anyway thank you for my rant i appreciate it not a rant not a rant important thank you for sharing are global leaders developing so- i love that song god i just and i like that other version we played too i don't remember the band that does it that i does- don't know either but i do prefer paul mccartney yeah you got me to like paul mccartney i did didn't i so you can wave that banner over your head. It's a great song. It's a moving song. It's a meaningful song. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life? Or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter from draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to a Biden presidency. Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power. And their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? 
Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency. They've been used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you have trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group because they're fighting for your financial freedom and policy. Call Midas Gold Group today, the only precious metals dealer Seb Gorka and I trust and use, 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Oh, gosh, there's such a plethora of things. Oh, I got to read this email from a listener to you all. One of our smart correspondents, Charles, writes, I think Trump should join the debate. He needs to go there and make a statement, something like, quote, our focus and our enemy is the Biden dictatorship. They want to kill our babies, prosecute and persecute our side's leaders, and take our guns. And ultimately, they want to have another COVID shutdown. Are you here to fight me or fight them? Close quote. I got to tell you, I like that last line a lot, Charles. I may have to steal it someday if I ever get back into speech writing. Are you here to fight me or fight them? And by the way, you know, I was saying earlier in the campaign that um, that I it, there is a level of nastiness on social media between the camps that I haven't seen in a long time, a really long time. And um, I think people need to remember that point here, Charles, that we shouldn't be writing the Democrats' talking points for them. We will have a general election, and a lot of what's been said by each against the other is going to be brought up and resurrected again. You do not see this with Democrats. They do not tear each other's throats out in the primary. They don't even have these kinds of primaries usually, not at, not seemingly at local levels as much as we do. And there are far fewer at the national levels than we do. And they, as I said, don't rip each other's throats out. They don't write talking points for the Republicans by what they say about each other. Not very much. Occasional here and there you can think of one. But this is ongoing. And yeah, I mean, as I say, I think, I think, I don't know, is this too worn at this point? As I say, you can prefer New York Strip to ribeye or ribeye to New York Strip, but that preference doesn't make you a vegetarian. And I just think that's worth repeating or thinking about from time to time. Are you here to fight me or fight them? That's more sophisticated, as listener Charles puts it. I don't I don't love I don't love the use I don't even really use the word rhino because it seems to be so much clay in anyone's hands who wants to lob that lob that um lob that mold at someone. So it's not a phrase I use I I don't think anyone will ever have found me really using it. I don't think I ever have. But but I I will tell you um there are a lot of varieties within this primary. A lot. And the more they're going on, the more you're seeing about some of them. Vivek went up, 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 and he had his moment, and we'll see how the debates go. He'll either go up a little bit more, or he may start to go down a little bit more. You know, he's getting the focus and attention that used to be on Ron DeSantis, and the focus and attention Vivek is getting it hasn't been so good lately. But again, I think that also is a bit self-inflicted. Um, anyway... 
Charles, thank you for that. Are you here to fight me or fight them? Um, first person who uses that is going to have a quotable line in a newspaper. I'll tell you that. 602-508-0960. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Such a that's that was such a huge hit in the eighties. <laughs> Did you know that song? No. You no, know, it was Starship, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Grace Slick and the guys. Uh, okay. Um, speaking of issues, a friend of mine sent me this, and uh, I didn't read it at first. And he said, "Did you read this? Do you ever have friends who send you an article, and it's like, eh, yeah, comes at a wrong time or an yeah. inconvenient moment, and you kind of move on, or something happens, or." Something else replaces it, and um, he called me about it. And he said, what did you think of it? And I was kind of, I don't know if I read it. Can you resend it? He said, it's amazing. It's shocking. I don't know if we're shocked in how we're not shocked anymore or if uh, our apathy has so suffused us um, or if we throw up our hands Maybe there's nothing shocking anymore. Maybe shock was taken away during COVID and acedia has set in. Maybe that explains some of the depression. Maybe that explains some of the mental health problems. Maybe it explains uh, some of the frustrations we have. But the headline says it all. The shoplifting crisis is a nightmare. Here are five things this ex-NYPD inspector wants you to know. Terrifying spike in thefts like shoplifting has Americans wondering if this is the new normal. And when you thought you kind of knew enough about the issue from talk radio or Fox News or whatever, uh, this is a story worth reading and repeating and sending around. Viral videos of store lootings have become such an evening news staple they no longer shock. The recent attack on a California Nordstrom by 50 youths resulting in approximately $100,000 in losses, stood out only for the gang's use of bear spray on security guards and for the inevitable bear spray posse memes. For so many Americans, such videos are now accepted as simply another marker for urban decay. So, is this the new normal? And if so, what's driving it? One, the post-Floyd criminal justice reform movement as a rebuke to the broken windows era of policing in which an imposed sense of order was the key to preempting crime. Legislatures across the country have instituted new regimes that are all carrot and no stick. The result has been a sense of impunity among some violators that borders on entitlement. For instance, as even the New York Times has acknowledged, roughly one third of all New York City shoplifting crimes are committed by a core group of just 327 perpetrators. You got that? 30 percent of all crimes of shoplifting in New York are committed by 327 people. For these perpetrators, the incentive to discontinue their current lifestyle has been removed, so they choose to continue. Imagine that. That this behavior metastasizes can be demonstrated by a startling revelation. Again, according to the New York Times, not exactly an advocate for draconian enforcement, over 90,000, David, this will astound you, over 90 thousand delivery packages a day are stolen in New York City. Can I repeat that? Over 90,000 delivery packages a day are stolen in New York City. Tellingly, for 2019, the NYPD only recorded, that's the year the statistics from, the NYPD only recorded a total yearly number 
of 132,565, roughly a half, roughly a day and a half's worth of, by the Times number. So where are the other 363 and a half days worth of crime complaints? People just don't report it anymore. They just don't report it. They don't see the point. Two, many crimes today do go unreported because victims feel the system won't help them. In the case of stolen packages, most victims have clearly decided that's just the way things are and complain instead to Amazon and other shippers who generally just ship a replacement. And if you don't think that cost is passed on to consumers, by the way, you'd be mistaken. In the shoplifting context, this manifests in the fact that many, if not most, shoplifting incidents go unreported. Shopkeepers fear the civil liability of an incident that blows up into a claim of injury by the perpetrator, which at least could drive up insurance costs. The security guards, often moonlighting cops who need the money, can't afford to be involved in too many such instances. Again, insurance companies could end coverage and they'd be fired. Even police departments are incentivized to underplay shoplifting. Try this on for size. $200 in stolen baby formula is at worst a petty larceny reported after the fact. But a struggle between a security guard and a shoplifter bumps the incident up to a robbery, one of the so-called seven majors that crime indices track. No precinct commander wants a robbery spike due to escalated petty thefts. Is it any wonder New York City locks up its toothpaste? Think about that. We now live in a society where we have to lock up toothpaste. Three, many of these large shoplifting groups are now organized. The fact that 50 youths could arrive at a single location and simultaneously charge a luxury store, and that, as we've noted, this is not unique, points to an obvious level of coordination, most likely through the use of difficult-to-penetrate instant messages and encrypted phone apps like Telegram. Alas, the value of this smash-and-grab tactic was amply demonstrated during the summer 2020 riots. The lack of enforcement then must have struck many perpetrators as a revelation. I don't have to guess at that, by the way. I witnessed it firsthand. Much as with the traditional mafia, organization is a great force multiplier. Today, the stolen goods are almost certainly fenced to buyers who flip the stuff for profit online with the Internet making the market global. It's a difficult structure to break. Four, there's no avoiding the issue of race. There's no avoiding it. And we need to have a serious conversation about it, not in the sense that Democratic politicians like to say, only so that they can shut it down and shame people for wanting to take them up on that offer and have a serious conversation about it. We need to have a serious conversation about it. Residents fleeing, storefronts boarded up, neighborhoods bereft of even basic grocery stores in our major cities— It feels gangrenous. So what's to be done? Well, this police officer that I'm quoting from says, and get this, nothing. There's nothing to be done. The progressive canon underpinning these conditions is so entrenched that nuances like plummeting quality of life and corporate flight barely register. And so we're faced with a discomforting, even tragic conclusion. Yes, this is the new normal in our cities. Let's not kid ourselves, folks. This is it. If you can live with that, fine. If not, you have two options. You can fight back, as two convenience store owners did recently in a video that went predictably viral, as Joseph Alba did, as Daniel Penny did, and thereby risk felony charges yourself. Or you can leave, as so many are doing. Are there signs of an awakening? Perhaps, perhaps. 
In Washington, D.C., a city councilman recently advocated for calling out the National Guard to combat crime conditions there. Not the best option, but at least D.C. has a public official capable of recognizing conditions on the ground. Unlike San Francisco, where the federal government just told employees to work from home due to rampant crime. Nothing to be done, folks. That's what one former police commissioner says. Things are so entrenched they can't be reversed. I don't know that that's true yet. It is worse than it's ever been. It's, it, it is wor- when people point to Giuliani turning around New York, the conditions are worse now. It's a harder lift. It's another haunting song. Yeah, great. Thanks, David. How do you think the um, economy's going? We talked about it earlier on the show. Everything from the inflation John was describing, still speculation of a possible recession, the bank failures, the stock market's volatility. Where do you go to invest? Why Refi has an investment in a portfolio. It's got a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve, any of that stuff. It's a portfolio, an investment in a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. No loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-Y-REFI-34. They're local, and you can visit them as well. They're Right on Scottsdale Road in the 101. Been there several times. You're not going to get a sales pitch or anything like that. They leave that up to me. But when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Shout out to my friend Barry, who is just corresponding on a on a something I said on the show. Thanks. Thanks, Barry. Um, end of this column by this uh, former police commissioner. He says, unlike San Francisco— where the federal government just told employees to work from home due to rampant crime. At least there's a councilman in Washington, D.C. wanting to take it seriously. And unlike New York, which not only refuses to renounce its sanctuary city status, but which has decided to close Rikers Island, its troubled local jail, jail, thereby cutting the citywide prisoner bed count by 40 percent. You think New York locks up nobody now? We're about to cut the incarceration rate in New York by nearly half. In a town that incarcerates its toothpaste. Think about that. We're incarcerating toothpaste, not criminals. And that's right. And that's true. And until you go to one of these cities, you have no idea what it's like. You have no idea what it's like. We'll talk a little bit more maybe tomorrow. Have uh, Brandon Weicker coming up. want to cover a couple other things. I may want to pick up on this tomorrow, though. Is it too late? Has apathy or acedia set in? It's a good word, acedia. We need to bring that back, too. Be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.